All right, all right, all right. You guys can remain standing. Uh, during our next few songs, we're going to take our offering. But if you are a visitor, all you need to do is look under the seat in front of you, grab that little card, and we would love to have your information. We want to get to know you more and be able to reach out to you. And also, stop by Guest Central out there. We have a gift for you. Um, let's just pray, and then we'll continue in our worship together. God, we're just so thankful uh, for who you are. We're thankful that you are holy, God. We're thankful that you, through Jesus Christ, have made us holy. God, that we can be right before you. God, that we can live in freedom, that we can live an abundant life, and that eternity starts now, God, because we live in the name of Jesus, and the blood of Jesus has cleansed us, and we are bound for heaven forever. And we love that, and we're thankful for that, God. Thank you. Um, that we have this place just to worship you. Father, I pray that you would meet us where we're at. God, that every person here this morning is here and they're here as they are. God, but we know that when we meet with you, you change us. And so, Father, we want to see you for who you are. As we worship you, God, I pray that you would open up the floodgates of heaven, um, God, and that your spirit would work in, in a mighty way here to change hearts and to move us to be more like Jesus. We love you, God. We want to give back to you now with joyful hearts. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. our Savior, who we can sing about with joy in our hearts like this this morning. We just thank you that he was crucified for our sins, but is risen and alive in heaven today. And as our Lord and Savior to guide us on this journey, this race of life, as we're talking about in this sermon series, and just pray your blessing on our time. May you open our minds and hearts to your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to switch out the ice cream table for a music stand. I feel like I should be eating orange leaf ice cream on one of those. So I'm gonna... I think that was a donation from the owner of orange leaf, if I'm not mistaken. Well, good morning. Today is our last week in our sermon series titled Running the Race. And we're talking about the race we're in as Christians, of course. Do we see this life as a race? Are we running it in such a way as to win the prize? The prizes in this race are eternal rewards in heaven. Perhaps some of us at times grow weary or cold in our walk with the Lord, and hopefully some of the things that have been shared this past month have stirred your heart to those practices, what we call spiritual disciplines, that help us in this race to run it well. The Bible compares our Christian lives to a race in several places, and I could think of a couple of them, but when I actually looked up the key word race in the New Testament, I was surprised to see how often our lives as Christians are compared to a race. In Acts 20, 24, the apostle says, For none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy. And the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. In 1 Corinthians 9.24, I like this one. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 4.7 said, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. 
I have kept the faith. And may at the end of our lives, we all be able to say the same. In Hebrews 12.1, the author says, Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And in this series, we've talked about Bible intake, about prayer, about evangelism, about stewardship, all very important parts of the Christian life. Today, we're going to cover a topic that perhaps we haven't talked about before, maybe at least not in a long time, and that is scripture memorization, your favorite topic, I'm sure. And I've titled this sermon with some creative help from Mike Johnson, What's in Your Heart? What's in Your Heart? And that thought's based on a key verse in Psalm 119. I'm going to start at verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. And we want to hide the Lord's word in our hearts. So I first want to address some of the reasons why we don't memorize scripture and talk about some of the spiritual benefits of memorizing scripture and and then give you some practical suggestions to help. Uh, first of all, technology has made it so easy to just look everything up, hasn't it? I've got this picture here on the next slide, that uh, one before that. Um, well, it's not showing up, but uh, I had one that has a picture of Siri, you know, the app on your phone, that, and then it says, Siri, would you please help me memorize this verse? That uh, <laughs> I got from Don Whitney's website. Um, he wrote the book, uh, Disciplines for the Christian Life, Don Whitney. And that's a great book. We've gone through it here as a church before. And I'm indebted to him for some of the key thoughts in this message this morning. Um, it's not something a lot of people do or even want to do. You know, we might acknowledge that it's good to do, but we don't actually take the time to do it a lot of times. Maybe it's because we're too busy. Maybe it's because it's so accessible with technology. Maybe it's because it takes some work. And it's already hard enough just trying to find time to read the word, let alone memorize it. Or maybe we think we've, uh, we have a bad memory, right? I have a bad memory. Maybe we associate all memorization with that memory work we had to do back in school, which a lot of it was uninteresting and of limited value, right? <laughs> um, or maybe we just don't care. Well, first of all, uh, forward a slide here to that picture of Usain Bolt. I, I just love this uh, picture of this guy, he's holding three fingers up here, and if you don't know, that's Usain Bolt, Olympic runner um, from Jamaica, and he, at this Olympics this summer, won his third gold medal in a row, three Olympics in the 100-meter dash, running it in 9.8 seconds. That's just incredible, the discipline that this guy has in his life to run his race. Well, think of it in the, in the Christian life. You know, we're, we're called to exercise ourselves towards godliness in 1 Timothy 4, 7, um, to run our race. Well, let me uh, address some of the common excuses we have, and uh, myself included, I, I'm not above all this. Um, a lot of it comes down to priorities. I think I have a quote here from Don Whitney. Um, a lot of it comes down to motivation. And uh, I've heard that unless something is one of your top three priorities in life, it doesn't get done well. And with basketball season coming up, I do have to check myself on that. I love to read about it and watch it and, and keep up with it. And, uh, but, I have to, but I have to watch myself to make sure that that doesn't take priority over the spiritual interests in my life or my marriage and family life even. 
And a lot of times our priorities are worldly. You know, a lot of times we're so focused on the happenings and events, and events of this life, this world, that our desire for the things of God are choked out. You remember the parable of the soils? One of the soils received the seed well. It sprung up, but then soon it was choked out by the weeds and the thorns, which Jesus said represents the cares and the concerns of this life. Maybe that thought will awaken someone's heart this morning to realize their priorities need some realignment. Well, as far as bad memories go, hey, if you can recite your birthday, your address, your phone number, the names of your friends, you can memorize a few verses of Scripture. I've read that Dawson Trotman, founder of the Christian organization called The Navigators, was converted to faith in Christ in 1926, and he began uh, memorizing the Bible one verse each day. He was driving a truck for a lumber yard in Los Angeles at the time, and while driving around town, he would work on that verse for the day. During the first three years of his Christian life, he memorized his first 1,000 verses. <laughs> if he could memorize over 300 verses a year, maybe we could memorize a few. Also, um, science has proven that the memory of the brain, the brain can improve with age if exercised like any muscle. I, th I think that's interesting. There's a brain app called Brain HQ that I have on my iPad, and it claims that even older people can achieve similar results as younger people have spent enough time in these memory speed games and different things it has you do. Um, I've read that Teresa Heinz Carey, the wife of Secretary of State John Carey, had a stroke some years ago, and she used one of these apps, I think it was called Lumosity, and she claimed it really helped with her memory. So all that to say, you'd, you'd be surprised at whether you're young or old. You know, we've got the young ones in Awana learning verses, and you'd be surprised at how much they can learn at that early age, whole passages of Scripture. And at, a, at an older age, um, you can learn Scripture. Just exercise your brain. Uh, so honestly, you know, I look back to the times in Awana and I remember a lot of the gospel verses I know today because of that time. Now, as far as memorization being uninteresting and of limited value, uh, Don Whitney proposes the question, what if I offered you $1,000 for every verse you could memorize in the next week? Do you think that your attitude towards scripture memory and ability to memorize would improve? <laughs> sure, that would be great, but now let me share with you what the Bible says about the value of God's word that's even greater than money. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. And Psalm 119, 103, it simply says, How sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so according to these verses, the word of God brings conversion, it brings wisdom, it brings joy, it brings purity, it brings truth and righteousness. So it's absolutely better than gold and honey, is it not? To us in the Christian life. Memorization and food bring back a, a fond memory from my days at Emmaus Bible College. I had a friend down the hall uh, from Connecticut. Now, Nick Reed is from Connecticut, but it wasn't him. And he called what he had his favorite verse whenever he stopped by to claim some snack food I had in my room. If he knew I had some pizza pockets or granola bars or whatever it is, he'd, he'd knock on my door and say, Mark, and he told me his favorite verse. He said this was his favorite verse in Matthew 5, 42. 
give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow from you, do not turn away. And so he'd use this verse to give me a major guilt trip about the snack food I had, and I would end up sharing with him, and it really was his favorite verse, and it was annoying. <laughs> After a while, I just had to say that I didn't think that verse really meant that he could come over whenever he wanted and eat my food. And I, I probably needed to study it to understand the true meaning, but... Well, I'm going to share some thoughts on the spiritual benefits of scripture memorization, and I'm greatly indebted to Don Whitney, as I said, and first of all, memorization has a purpose. My friend had a purpose, but it was misguided. Uh, but from a spiritual perspective, we, we don't just memorize to be able to quote scripture and say, I have this number of verses in my, in my brain. It has a purpose, and our key verse here is 1 Timothy 4, 7 to 8. Exercise yourself toward godliness, for bodily exercise profits a little, but godliness is profitable for all things, having promise of the life that now is and of that which is to come. So it's beyond just this life, it's, it's for eternity when we're memorizing the word of God. And so the goal is godliness, and godly people are disciplined people. It's always been so. No one comes to spiritual maturity except through discipline. And you look back in church history and you see the greatest spiritual leaders in church history, and they were disciplined people. Godliness comes through discipline. You know, God can use other means to help us grow. He uses other believers. We think of that verse in Proverbs 27, 17 that says, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And certainly the fellowship of other believers that God puts us in helps us to smooth out those rough edges and help us sharpen our thinking in, in our Christian life. He also uses life circumstances to help us grow. Think to Romans 8, 28, where it says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him to those who are called according to his purpose. And both of those are somewhat out of our control. Those are circumstantial things. But spiritual disciplines are largely under our control. I mean, we can decide whether we're going to read the Bible or pray or memorize scripture today or not. And so think of these spiritual disciplines like memorization as like spiritual exercises. It's like going to the gym and using a weight machine. You know, that physical exercise promotes strength and health. But spiritual disciplines promote godliness. And so I want to share some of these uh, benefits, reasons to memorize scripture. And first of all, memorization strengthens our faith. You want your faith strengthened, discipline yourself to memorize scripture. Memorizing scripture strengthens your faith because it reinforces that truth in your mind. In Proverbs 22, it says, Incline your ear and hear the words of the wise, and apply your heart to my knowledge. For it is a pleasant thing if you keep them within you, let them all be fixed upon your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I have instructed you today, even you. And so notice that the reason there for keeping the words of Scripture within us and ready on our lips is so that our trust may be in the Lord. A verse at the end of the Great Commission has inspired many missionaries. You, you probably know the more familiar part that go into all the world and preach the gospel. Um, teaching them all I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then at the end of that, it says, Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of this age. I, I know of a Christian worker who keeps that verse in the front of his mind to fight off discouragements and um, carry out his mission. And missionaries have held on to that verse throughout the centuries around the world. Lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And if you're feeling discouraged in ministry or the future, or a verse like this strengthens us to know that God is with us. He's with us in this mission. It's his kingdom, and he's with us, and he's on the journey to help us build it. 
And you can probably think of other verses that have strengthened your faith along your journey over the years. Secondly, memorization and witnessing and counseling. This is powerful. This is very powerful. Opportunities to share the gospel often come when we don't have a Bible handy, right? You know, the conversation just suddenly morphs into that spiritual topic. And, and I've found that when you're talking with an unbeliever and these gospel verses that we have memorized, the Holy Spirit can bring those to mind and use those in a powerful way, spoken from the heart, to reach that person for Christ. John Piper has suggested there are four parts of the gospel that we should all memorize verses for. And so I was reflecting on those four parts he suggested here and thinking of some of the verses that I've learned over the years, and I'm going to suggest a couple for each of these. I, I would recommend that every believer know a couple verses for each part of the gospel message here. And first of all, he says, we need to talk about God's holiness, his law and glory. In Hebrews 12, 14 is a good verse. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 1 Peter 1, 16 simply says, be holy for I am holy. That's an easy one to remember. Romans 6.23 also says, For the wages of sin is death. Now some of these sound familiar, don't they? These are good verses to remember, that, to have ready on our mind to share about the holiness and glory of God. Secondly, we think of man's sin and rebellions, rebellion and disobedience. Romans 3.23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I remember at Awana one time when there was a lesson given on this verse and and the, the boy hearing it at the time was just devastated. He couldn't believe that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He said, oh, I haven't sinned. <laughs> and he was just heartbroken over it. And we had to, yes, convince him that, yes, even you have sinned. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Bob's smiling. We know that, kid. Uh, Ephesians 2, in Ephesians chapter 2, in verses 1 and 5, there's this phrase that talks about our, our past life, and it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sin. That's us. That's man's sinfulness. And we have to point people first to the holiness of God and then to the sinfulness of man and then to Christ's, Christ's death for sinners. <clears throat> we probably, hopefully, all know John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. <clears throat> in Ephesians 2.13, I preached on this uh, section about five or six years ago, and this, this thought kind of stuck with me since then, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Isn't that a neat thought? You know, we were far off from God. We were alienated from God. We were his enemy, Scripture says. But we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then lastly, the free gift of life by faith. That first half of Romans 6.23 was the wages of sin is death. But the second half of that is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. Great verse to have memorized, the gift of God. And also another classic we should all know is Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Uh, I remember some years ago, Mormons came to our door, and they probably didn't have a whole lot of fun with me. Uh, I kept taking them to verses like Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. They kept saying about all these works you had to do, and James 2, and you had to do works. And I said, yes, you have to do works as a believer, but, but you're saved by grace through faith, and that is a gift of God, not of works lest anyone should boast. And 
I think after a while he was kind of getting it and he wrote the reference down. Maybe he was going to look that up later. I hope so. Also, uh, scripture memorization is very helpful in counseling. You know, memorize scripture has great power to help us when we need to give someone counsel or advice when we don't have our Bible handy, or, or even if we do have our Bible handy. Sometimes it's more powerful just speaking the memorized word from the heart. Have you ever given or received a verse to or from another believer that really helped you in that time where you needed some guidance or counsel? It's a wonderful thing. I, I can think back on times over the years when I've had a question, been asked questions like, if I'm saved, then why do I still sin? Uh, someone asked me that one time, and I was able to point to them verses in Romans 7 where the Apostle Paul really struggled with sin even, and he, and he hated it. He says, I do the things I don't want to do, and that which I want to do, I don't do. And he goes on to talk about this war with the flesh, the sinful way of thinking, and, and how that was going on in himself, and he thanked God that one day he would have victory, have victory in, over that sin. Another time I was asked why God wasn't answering uh, this person's prayers that they were asking by faith. And I reminded the person of how God is working out everything according to his will for our good, like Romans 8, 28 says. And then also, sometimes our prayer are not his will. Sometimes we're asking it with the wrong motives. James 4, 3 says, you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your own pleasures. And so um, we need to be careful to ask according to the will of God and be patient and willing to trust God to answer according to his will, according to his timing, because he knows what's best for us. So scriptures can be used for counseling, for comfort, for guidance, for direction. It's just so effective to have some of these key scriptures memorized on important topics for that purpose. Thirdly, scripture memorization is a means of God's guidance. Um, I was trying to think of some practical things and practical ways to bring this up this morning. And one thing I thought of is guidance in conversations, guidance in our speech. And a lot of times you end up in a conversation that turns into gossip or is speaking bad about someone or maybe the content drifts into immoral, immoral subjects. And so here's some verses that we can bring to mind that are fairly easy to remember. Titus, we went through Titus in the men's group this summer. And this verse kind of stuck with me since then. It's very simple. Titus 3.2, it says, speak evil of no one. And, uh, you know, I work in the workplace and... Uh, there's people, you, can, you don't control the people you work with, and sometimes you work with some people who are frustrating to work with. <laughs> and, uh, but, but then, the verse has come to this, my mind several times recently on a, on a project I've been working with, some guy <laughs> that is frustrating to work with. And, uh, but when talking about that person or about the situation, I've been trying to keep this verse in mind. Speak evil of no one. So we could, we could all keep that one in mind. Another good one is Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to its hearers. So if you, I remember a teenager asking me one time, uh, where does it say in the Bible that we're not to swear? Well, here's a good verse. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, right? Good verse for that. Uh, I think these are very clear verses too. That's a good thing. I mean, a lot of times in the Bible, we can have differences of opinion on secondary matters that are difficult to understand. But verses like this are very clear. They give us clear guidance on these subjects. Here's another one. Are you wondering whether it's okay to date or marry that unbeliever? And uh, a verse, good verse for that is in 2 Corinthians 6.14. It says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness? So if, now once you're married, stay married. 
But if 2 Corinthians 6.14 is very clear, if, if, you're, if you're looking for someone to date or marry, you're not, if you're a believer, it's not, you're not to be yoked together with an unbeliever. That, that picture of being yoked goes back to the old days when they had oxen pulling the plow, and they had this wooden yoke um, keeping the two oxen together, and they would pull together with their combined strengths. And you think how if a, if a believer is yoked together with an unbeliever, how that unbeliever's unfaith and disbelief will drag down the believer. And um, so that's a good verse. Or I, uh, if you're a father with a young daughter, I know some have suggested in the past that they joke about their threats to the young men that might be potential suitors for their daughter someday. And you see t-shirts to that effect if you walk around town and are shopping. And so I've got another suggestion for that. Uh, if you're raising a daughter and you're concerned about potential suitors for that daughter, you could require that they memorize half the book of Romans. That's just an idea. I think John Berglund, Elena's dad, once maybe required that when she was growing up. I seem to remember that. But uh, yeah, I, it's kind of funny, but I'm actually kind of serious about that. That will probably do a good job of screening out those who are not worthy. <laughs> um, you know, there's so many situations in life where God's guidance could be readily available to us if only we discipline ourselves to read and know and commit to memory the words of truth. Fourthly, memorization stimulates meditation. Storing texts in our mind from the Bible about God help us to relate to him on a deeper level. When we memorize a verse of scripture, we can meditate on it day or night, anytime, anywhere. Psalm 119.97 says, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Whether you're driving the car, waiting at the airport, waiting in line, rocking the baby, whatever it is, lying awake at night, I don't have that problem. I, I fall asleep, I crash, I'm out. I know some people have a hard time going to sleep and they lay awake uh, late at night and, hey, recite your memorized scripture. That would be a great thing to do when you're laying awake late at night. <clears throat> uh, John Piper challenged uh, me this week in his, in his article on this subject. He says, just think if we had a passage of scripture we could recall like this at some point in our day, and he was referring to Psalm 103, verses 8 to 14. And so I've been working out over the past few days. It might not be word perfect just yet, but uh, it is a really awesome passage to just have on your mind to take joy in the Lord with. And, and it goes like this, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in mercy. He will not always strive with us, and he will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. For he knows our frame and he remembers that we are dust. It's just a beautiful passage about God's mercy and grace and forgiveness. Lastly, memorization supplies spiritual power. And I, again, want to make this practical and think of practical ways we can use this to bring us spiritual power. You know, when the scripture is stored in mind, it is available for the Holy Spirit to bring to mind when you need it most. And Don Whitney, author of the Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life book, who I said I was indebted to, he, he describes it this way. Imagine yourself in the midst of a decision needing guidance and needing guidance or struggling with a difficult temptation and needing victory. The Holy Spirit rushes to your mental arsenal, flings open the door, but all he finds is a John 3.16, a Genesis 1.1, and a Great Commission. 
those are great swords, but they're not made for every battle. That was kind of a sobering thought. Are you facing temptation? There's great verses to help us in those moments of temptation. Think of Colossians 3, 2 when that temptation comes. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Or Philippians 4, 8, it's a little bit longer, but it's a great one. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are pure, uh, whatever things are just, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Timothy 2.22 is a very short one, very simple, very easy. And that moment of temptation, maybe it's with lust, remember this verse. Flee also youthful lusts, but pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace with those who call on the Lord out of pure heart. We can all remember that. 2 Timothy 2.22, you got all the twos in there, easy to remember. Flee also youthful lusts. If you're in that moment of temptation with lust, flee also youthful lusts. That's what the apostle encourages us to do. And what if we've been struggling already or are caught in the sin already? There's some wonderful, wonderful verses in Psalm 51 that come from the heart of King David, one of Israel's greatest leaders, who after committing adultery and then murder, has wrote this psalm of repentance. It's a beautiful psalm. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And, and just the whole passage is just very beautiful. I'd encourage any time you've been struggling or caught in sin or been beaten down by sin to read that passage in Psalm 51. Jesus himself provides us the ultimate example, and I just want to spend a few minutes in Matthew chapter 4. You can open there with me if you have your Bible. Matthew chapter 4. And I just want to take a few minutes to just read this and point out a few key, thing, few key things about it. Matthew 4, 1 through 11. Because Jesus is our ultimate example here. He's in a confrontation with Satan in the wilderness after his baptism by John the Baptist. And Satan comes to him with some strong temptations. He's been fasting in the wilderness for 40 days, somewhat of a supernatural fast, I think. Um, and Satan comes to him with three temptations. And for all three of those temptations, Jesus refutes all of them with memorized scripture. And all three of the scriptures he uses comes from Deuteronomy. I had a professor at Emmaus once ask the Life of Christ class I was in, what if our ability to have victory in the face of temptation depended upon our knowledge of the book of Deuteronomy. <laughs> I don't think any of us would have done too well. But let me read this scripture here. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Probably an understatement. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. There were three temptations here, and they're the temptations that we all face. 
Hebrews 4.16 says of Jesus that he was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. That's why he's our ultimate example. 1 John 2.16 describes these temptations as the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh. Satan tempted Jesus to claim his right as the Son of God to turn stones into bread. What would have been so wrong with that? And probably Satan's temptation was, the Son of God shouldn't have to suffer hunger like this. Claim your right as the Son of God and turn these stones into bread. But that wasn't God's plan then. And Jesus quoted from Deuteronomy 8.3, which in context is about how God allowed the nation of Israel to hunger so that he might feed them with manna and teach them to trust him to provide for them. God's word is our sustenance and is even more important than our physical food. It benefits us in a way that's eternal, not just physical. So Jesus has victory in that temptation. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. Satan takes him onto the pinnacle of the temple, and some say that was about 450 feet high. And he tells him, just do a swan dive. The angels will catch you and escort you to the ground. And, you know, there's some prediction in the Bible that the Messiah would do this, come to the temple in glory. And this would have been the lust of the eyes for the whole world to see him coming in his glory to the temple. But that wasn't God's plan. He was testing God's plan. Testing the plan for the Messiah because God's plan for the Messiah in his first coming was to suffer. To suffer and be our sin bearer on the cross, not to come as the king of glory. And so Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6.16, which is a reference to the time the Israelites were grumbling in the wilderness, putting the Lord to the test and demanding Moses to give them water when there was none. And he says, you shall not tempt, you shall not test the Lord your God. He had, that mem- he had that scripture memorized on the front of mind, and he could quote it at a moment's notice to fight off the temptation. And then lastly, the pride of life. Satan tempts Jesus with authority and power on the earth, showing him, you can have all this if you'll bow down and worship me. But the authority and power he had to offer was not God's plan. Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6, 13 and 14 about the Israelites again and fights off that temptation. You shall worship the Lord your God only. And so Jesus had victory over Satan. That was God's plan to these temptations to prove that they proved that Jesus was sinless and he could be a perfect sacrifice for our sins. Tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin. And that Satan, as strong of temptations he could throw at the Son of God, he was a defeated foe. He could not have victory over God's plans. He's since the beginning when God created everything in the garden and he said it was good and Satan wanted to ruin what was good. He wanted to ruin the highest creation God had made, mankind. We were to rule over the earth and he wanted to disrupt our lives and disrupt God's plans for us. But he's a defeated foe and it's proved here. And so when we look to Jesus, we see a man. We see a holy man in the face of the strongest temptations able to have victory because he had the word of God memorized and on top of mine, and we can too in those times of temptation for spiritual power. So now I want to offer some uh, practical suggestions for memorization, and this will go fairly quickly. First of all, have a plan. There's some good pre-packaged scripture memory um, plans in Christian bookstores and online. It might not surprise some of you that I have one called the MacArthur Scripture Memory System. Uh, I love John MacArthur. And it has one to four verses for each week of the year. So over the course of 52 weeks of the year, you have a lot of verses memorized. It also comes with three CDs, so you get some in-depth teaching on each of those verses so that you not only memorize the words, but you're allowing the content and the meaning of it to sink into your heart as you're learning those verses. So there's probably other good packages too, but I'm going to recommend that one. 
Also, don't think that you have to start at Genesis 1-1 or Matthew 1-1 and work through the whole Bible in order like that. I wouldn't recommend that. I know some people do that. They do it successfully, and it's great. But for most people, what I'd say, what I'd recommend is memorize the main gospel verses. Like I said, a couple of main gospel verses for each part of the gospel. I think every believer should do that because as the Apostle Paul says, we need to be ready in season and out of season to have a reason for the hope that's within us. And then memorize paragraphs or verses on whatever your life circumstances are. I mean, if you're struggling in your marriage, memorize the passage in Ephesians 5 on husbands and wives. If you're struggling with temptations and addictions, memorize verses on that. If you're struggling with the overwhelming amount of evil and chaos in the world and the agonizing election choices, memorize uplifting verses about the return of Christ and the resurrection, right? And if you want to dig deep into the meat of the word, Memorize Romans chapters 5 to 8, especially if you want to marry my daughter. <laughs> to write out the verses on paper or index cards. Uh, good suggestion there, kind of like the flashcard idea. Three, draw picture reminders. A lot of us are visual people. Uh, draw a few lines or stick figures or whatever it is. Example, Psalm 119.11, our key verse, you know, hiding your word I've hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Maybe draw a little picture of a Bible with a little heart in it. I don't know. Ephesians 6, 17, the sword of the Spirit. That's kind of an easy one. So picture reminders. Four, memorize the verses word perfect. <laughs> if we settle for getting close or getting the main idea, we're going to be unclear and unconfident when we think about it or share it with others. If we don't know them word perfect, there's the danger, the real danger of adding to or taking away from or stretching the word of truth. We don't want to do that. I, I think back to Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. Eve in chapter 3 and Adam, God gave Adam this rule about the two trees. There's the tree of life, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He gave the rule about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? He said, shall not eat of it. From the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And Adam would have passed that on to Eve. But tragically, when the tempter came, when Satan came, she didn't hold fast to the word, word perfect. And this is what happened. Satan created doubt and deception about the word in her mind. And if he would, Eve would have just held to the word, word perfect, as God, as, as Exactly as God had been told Adam, maybe she wouldn't have succumbed. I don't know. Listen here. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. You notice Satan's challenges there, creating doubt and deception. He says, has God really said, you know, and that's the father of all lies, there and that's what he does in the world today as god really said challenging the word of god and directly refuting the god, word of god he says you will not die you will become wise knowing both good and evil so notice eve's response she does a few things here that are unfortunate she adds to the word she takes away from the word and stretches the word that's why it's important to know it word perfect because she adds to the word or touch it did you notice that that wasn't in god's command but she added that and, it, and what it does, it makes God seem more demanding than he really is. 
she's exaggerating God's rule. And, and when we exaggerate God's rules, that can lead us, like Eve, to think that God's demands are unfair and raise doubts about the wisdom of them. That's very dangerous. Also, she took away from the word. She omitted that they might freely eat of all the trees in the garden. She simply said that they were available, making light of the fact that God is a generous God, made him appear less generous than he was. And then also she weakened the force of the punishment for disobedience by misquoting God's warning to Adam about the penalty for eating the fruit of the forbidden tree. She quoted him as saying, lest you die. When what God had actually said was, you shall surely die. In other words, there was no room for the possibility that they would not die. And so you see, even slight differences like that. I mean, most Christian cults today do the same things. They add to, they take away from, or they stretch the truth of the word. And that's how they come up with all these strange doctrines. And so we as believers need to be careful, know the word well, and even know it word perfect when we memorize it. A couple other quick ones here. Be accountable to someone. You know, we have a tendency to be lazy. Sometimes we need accountability on spiritual disciplines. Uh, when I was dating Jesslyn, we were working together and memorized Romans 8 together. That was a fun time. And it was great just to be able to work, recite it back and forth to each other. We should probably do that again. <laughs> Um, last one here is review and meditate. You know, after a month, maybe six months, you really need to review it. Are you going to lose your edge on it and, and how well you know it? Um, I, I know some, over the years, some passages in Romans I've memorized long ago, I have to go back and just kind of almost relearn it, refresh my memory. If I had reviewed it maybe every month or six months or so, um, I probably wouldn't have lost that edge on it. So we need to review and meditate. I'll end with this quote this morning from Don Whitney. And he says, again, the goal is not to see how many verses we can memorize. The goal is godliness. The goal is to memorize the word of God so that it can transform our minds and our lives. And so uh, on that thought, I'll, I'll close with the thought, like Jimmy Murphy, our brother, who's now in the northeast part of the countryside, he would often say, may God bless these thoughts to you. Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the word of God. It is indeed true and noble and uh, just and pure and lovely and of good report. It's, it's praiseworthy. And help us to meditate on the word of God day and night, as the psalmist said. Help us to commit to memory scriptures that would empower us in our witnessing as believers, that could enable us to effectively uh, reach an unbeliever with the gospel of Christ. To use it to give a spiritual power, to use it to give wise counsel to others, for guidance and life decisions. We just thank you for the Holy Spirit within us and that when we can commit scriptures to memory, he can fling open that door and say, here's a Colossians 3.2, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. And so we just pray for our congregation here to be strengthened in the power of the Spirit through these spiritual disciplines we've talked about this past month in Bible intake and in prayer and evangelism and stewardship and memorization. We just commit ourselves to you in the name of the Lord Jesus for his glory. Amen. Um, before I go here, I, I also just want to make a quick announcement that uh, next week we're going to take a special offering for Pablo and Bethany Calderon. As you know, in just a couple weeks here, they're going to Romania full-time as missionaries. And so we want to be a blessing to them as they go, and next week we're going to take a special offering for that. So, so now we're going to have time of communion and, and worship as we break the bread and, and take the cup, and that is just a beautiful picture reminder of
the body and blood of the Lord. And, and just remember that verse in Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you that you have a good, good plan for us, for our lives, because you are such a good, good Father. We thank you that part, the best part of that good plan was when you sent your Son, the Lord Jesus, into this world to be among sinners and live as a, as a holy man and to offer himself as that perfect sacrifice for our sins. In that great thought, may we go forward, emboldened by your word, to share the gospel with others, to take your word, the message of the Lord Jesus, how he can save sinners from their sin and give them eternal life. May we take that out into our streets this week. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's the deal. When we sing a song like that and it says, I'll stand, you're all already standing. And then it says, with arms high and heart abandoned. That's just not a, a, a heart posture. That is a posture we get in with our actual body to proclaim what our heart posture is. So if you're here this morning and you want to stand and say that I'm going to leave this building today with the arms of my life held high in complete surrender to my King Jesus so that the gates of hell will not stop his kingdom from being built, I want you to raise your hands up to heaven today and proclaim this out like you've never proclaimed it before. That you refuse to waste your life and live it out for the kingdom of God. Let's sing this out. So I'll 